You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back for another Mailbag Monday edition of the show. In the interest of full disclosure, it is actually not Monday right now as I'm recording this episode. It is Friday night at 7.37 p.m. here in the Classic City. I am heading out on vacation tomorrow morning, bright and early, leaving at 6 a.m., and I actually won't be back until Wednesday morning. So since we're going to be gone when I would normally be recording this Mailbag Monday episode, which of course would be on Monday, I had to rearrange things a little bit. And here I am on a Friday night answering a bunch of awesome mailbag questions that you guys have sent in for us. And that's because I love you guys. I wouldn't be on here at 7, no, 7.39 p.m. on a Friday night while my wife is in there eating dinner all alone if I didn't love you guys. So I'm here, ready to go. I still have some packing to do, a lot of things to do before I leave tomorrow morning. But you know what? We gotta fit this in, we gotta make this happen. It might be a little bit of a shorter episode than normal because I do have a bunch of things left to do. It's a busy week. I thought I'd have all of my packing and everything done by like Wednesday, that was the plan, but you guys know how this works. Life hits, things happen, you get busy, and things just go by the wayside. So here I am, Friday night, scrambling, but that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna be here to give you guys your Georgia football fix. We're gonna make that happen. So shorter show or not, I wanna fit in as much as I possibly can today. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. And uh, I love this first question, man. I don't know if we've ever had a question like this. In fact, I don't know if the guy who sent this question is ever sent in a question. So I appreciate it. Wyatt, I don't think you've sent in a question, Wyatt. If you have, man, I apologize. But if you're new to the show, welcome, man. Glad to have you. But Wyatt has a really interesting question. I think this is gonna be fun to answer. And Wyatt says he's got a hypothetical for me. Let's say that the SEC decided to do a football coach draft. Every coach from every team in the league went into the draft, and it was open season. All right, interesting premise here. If you were the Georgia AD and you had the number one overall pick, which coach would you select and why? Love this, man. This is a great question. I think the obvious answer that most people will go with would, of course, be Nick Saban because he is the GOAT. We know that. I'm not here to, to dispute that. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach in the history of college football. I, I, I don't think that's really even arguable right now. I know some, some of my fans might say 
Bear Bryant, but like, come on, in the modern context, it's so much more competitive now. No way. Nick Saban is a living legend. He is the GOAT, no doubt about it. But, but, saying that, the dude is getting up there in age. He's 70 years old now. Now, Nick Saban's, I'm pretty certain, probably going to be one of those coaches who coaches until he dies. I don't think he wants to be the Bear Bryant type where, like, you retire and then you're dead, like, shortly after that. I think that's probably what would happen to him. I think it drives him so much. He'll probably coach another 10 years, man. Like, I don't doubt that at all. Probably. But if I'm looking in the future, it's tough to count on that. I don't think that I would go with Nick Saban, even though in the short term, he would bring incredible success to your program. I think you have to look longer term. Now, saying that, you have to think, okay, is there a coach in the long term that can bring me some anything close to that level of success? And I think the answer is yes. And I know this is a Georgia podcast, and I know you're probably rolling your eyes saying, oh my God, of course, obviously, you're going to go with Kirby Smart. And you're right. You're not wrong. I would draft Kirby number one, but I think that you can justify that, especially now with the national championship under his belt. So Kirby Smart, after year one, 2016, where we went to the Liberty Bowl, beat TCU, had to establish the culture, we have now gone to five straight either New Year's Six Bowls or Coswell playoffs. We've played a national championship game with a runner-up. We won a national championship. We won two semifinal games have played in four of the last six SEC championship games. Won one of those. I wish we would have won more than one, but hey, we've got an SEC title. And outside of Nick Saban, who can you say in the SEC has a resume like that? I know the the one place you would go would be Jimbo Fisher. Let's talk about Jimbo Fisher here for a second because he's the only other coach besides Kirby and Saban who has a national title in his resume currently inside the SEC. But let me explain why I would not go Jimbo number one and why I would take Kirby over Jimbo. Jimbo is a good coach. I'm not here to dispute that. I mean, you look at his time at Florida State. He takes the job over from Bay Bowden, went 10-4, 9-4, 12-2, with the BCS championship, and 13-1, and uh, was in the first uh, college football playoff, lost that game in the Rose Bowl, but it was there. They went 10-3 with a loss in the Peach Bowl, went 10-3 with an Orange Bowl win, and then the bottom fell, fell out, went 5-6, and then jumped ship and went to Texas A&M. So he has had a ton of success as a head coach. He's got a national championship to his resume. He's got five New Year's Six Bowl appearances, at least based on my calculations. This guy's had a ton of success. He's done that with about twice as much time as Kirby Smart as a head coach. So Kirby's been our coach for six years. Jimbo's been head coach for 13 years. But he still had a ton of success. And it looks like he's about to get that Texas A&M program rolling. They took a slight step back last year with a lot of injuries. But we know in 2020, the COVID year, now, I mean, the context is what it is within the COVID year, but still had a really good year, went 9-1, won the Orange Bowl, looked like he was poised for big things at A&M. And then they went 8-4 and four this year and didn't really meet those expectations. But they did just put together one hell of a recruiting class, arguably on paper, the greatest recru- recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes. So there's that. This guy is a good recruiter. He's a national championship coach. He's got that pedigree. He's a consistent winner. Here's the reason why, though, I would take Kirby over Jimbo. There is one thing that Kirby does not have on his resume that Jimbo does, and that is a straight-up, flat-out nosedive where he drove the Florida State program straight off a 10,000-foot 
Cliff. Now, he bailed out, right? Like, he's driving the car. The FSU program's a car. He's driving straight for the edge of a 10,000-foot cliff, and right before it goes off that cliff, he opens the door, and he rolls out. He bails out, right? He takes the lifeline that is Texas A&M, and he gets out of Dodge. He goes to Texas, and now he's got a whole new lease on life. But the fact remains, and I don't think enough people talk about this when talking about Jimbo Fisher. He does have a great track record. He does have a great resume. But the current state of the Florida State football program can be traced directly back to the end of the Jimbo Fisher era in Tallahassee, 100%. He left that roster. He left that program in shambles. And I read an article. It was a, I don't want to say it was an investigative piece, but it was a deep dive into the Florida State program in the waning years of, of Jimbo Fisher's tenure. And the shadiness that went on behind the scenes, the lack of control that Jimbo Fisher had over that program, it was truly eye-opening. And I cannot, I believe it was an ESPN article. I can't remember who was the writer, but man, it was crazy to sit down and read that. I mean, he left that program in an absolute shambles. And I know you want to point at Willie Taggart and make fun of him. Oh, he was a disaster. No, he wasn't good. But when he got there, he had no chance to be successful right off the bat because that program was a straight up disaster. And that was Jimbo Fisher's doing. He took a Ferrari and turned into a Ford Pinto, drove it straight down into the ground. And they are still, still trying to pull out of that. After Jimbo Fisher, five and seven, six and seven, three and six, five and seven. Now, at some point, those coaches just got to start recruiting and they got to land guys and they got that program back on track. At some point, I guess you can't blame it all on Jimbo Fisher. But that was a blue blood program that is no longer a blue blood program. Not even remotely close. They haven't had a winning season since then. Again, five and seven, six and seven, three and six, five and seven. But you can trace that back to the end of the Jimbo Fisher era. So if you draft Jimbo Fisher number one, he might bring you those heights. He might bring you, probably would win a lot of games, might bring you a national title early on. But what kind of shape is he going to leave your program in? You got to factor that in. And look, it's great to win a national championship, but is there another coach out there that has proven he can win a national championship that also was not going to leave your program in the kind of shape that Jimbo Fisher left Florida State in? I think the answer is, yeah, I think Kirby Smart can do that. I don't see Kirby Smart running a program straight to the ground like that. And here's something else that works in Kirby's favor. I believe Kirby Smart's the best recruiter in the country. I think as a head coach, he's the best recruiter in the country. Now, maybe you could say Nick Saban, and I wouldn't really argue too hard with you there, but I think Kirby is as good as anyone in the country talking to the mamas in the living rooms, and not even just like interacting with those guys, but creating this recruiting apparatus and driving it home to everyone who works from within his organization. That's what he calls it, guys. Occasionally, he'll call it a program, but more and more, he calls it an organization, which is really what it is. He is relentless, and he breeds that in every single person that works for him. He demands that. That's You wonder why some of these guys headed out of town real quick, because they aren't used to the kind of demands on the recruiting trail that Kirby Smart puts on them. Jamila Dye, I mean, great coach, nothing against him, but sometimes it's just not a fit. Sometimes the dude's just not ready to do what Kirby demands of you. And I might have said it a thousand times in this podcast, but I'll say it again. The number one ingredient to winning national titles is talent. You got to have the dudes. You have to have the players. And there is, in my opinion, literally no one better in the country at getting the players outside of maybe Nick Saban. I think that's that's fair to say. But again, Nick Saban, I'm kind of ruling him out here because of the age. I don't think he's here for the long haul. Maybe maybe you get 10 years max out of him. But Kirby, 
I mean, the guy's in his mid to late 40s here. You got another 20 plus years with Kirby. And this guy is going to continue to bring in the top talent year after year after year after year. There has not been a letdown since he's gotten in Athens, and it's not going to happen. This dude is just driven. He will not allow that to ever happen. And as long as we have the players, which under Kirby, I truly believe that we will year in and year out, any given year can be your year. Any given year, you can win national championship. You're going to be consistently competing for SEC titles. And if you're competing for SEC titles, you're going to be consistently competing for playoff spots and national championships. And there's also the fact, the last thing I'll throw out here in Kirby's favor is that he is a UGA alum. Now, I don't think that should outweigh everything. If the guy's not qualified, you can't say just, oh, you know, he's a George guy. Let's bring him in. But Kirby's different. Kirby is a George guy, but Kirby's also incredibly well qualified. He's also proven what he can do. He's won a national championship. And I do think the fact that he is a Georgia guy and he can sell the program from that perspective, I really do believe that gives him an extra kick on the recruiting trail. Now, is that the be all end all? Like, no, but it doesn't hurt. I do think that's something that can open up ears and really open up eyes when you're talking to parents, you're talking to players, you can say, hey man, I live this. I can tell you from experience. I love this place. I think that does matter. It can be one of the things that could make a difference when you're trying to close on some of these top guys down the line. So for me, I'm going Kirby Smart. I think the only three options I would even consider would be Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Jimbo Fisher, because those are the three that have shown they can win national titles. Lane Kiffin's a fun guy to follow. It's a fun story. But man, like he relies too much on the transfer portal. He's too, like he's an interesting guy, but like, do you really want to like deal with that as your head coach? It's fun to watch from afar. I don't know if I could handle that. Uh, as, as with him as my head coach. He's not like one of those guys that's committed to the recruiting trail. And you always had the best players. The offense is fun, but he's never been able to field a good defense. Brian Kelly is another one that's kind of on the fringe there of a guy I would consider. He has taken their name to multiple college football playoffs. Has not won a national title, took his team to a BCS national championship game. He's a guy that you have to consider, but he just hasn't accomplish what Kirby's accomplished. And he hasn't done the SEC. Doing a Notre Dame is a little bit different. You don't have to worry about an SEC championship game, right? That's a little bit of a different story. I mean, if we didn't have to play LSU or Alabama in the SEC championship game, we probably would have made four straight college football playoffs. But as far as I'm concerned, I know you can call me a homer and that's fine. I'm sure it's going to sound like that and come across like that. But objectively, for the reasons I laid out, I would absolutely draft Kirby Smart number one if I had the, the top overall pick in an SEC coaches draft. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, so that was a fun first question, but let's go ahead and move on here. And our next question is from Paul. Always appreciate the questions, Paul. Thanks, man. Um, but Paul says, there are not a ton of seniors on this team. My question is, other than the obvious veteran returning starters like Nolan Smith and Chris Smith and Stetson Bennett, what players do you see stepping up as leaders on our team? I think this is a really underrated question. You don't hear much talk about this. You're just talking about the talent, and I get that, but leadership is a huge thing, guys. I don't know if we would have won the national championship last year if it wasn't for the veteran leadership that we had on this team, the skull sessions that Kirby implemented throughout the offseason, kind of bring this team closer together. And that's one thing that Kirby does a really good job of. I, don't, I think it's an underrated aspect of what Kirby does with our program is he really develops leaders. He puts a premium on that. And that's something that Nick Saban does as well. He learned that from Saban. But that is has been an underrated part of our success over the past five years or so, is that we just do a great job of developing leadership and engendering a player-led culture. And that is so critical, guys. It gets tiresome for players to just hear it from the coaches time and time and time again. At some point, it just loses its impact. It's like, all right, coach, yeah, I got it, I got it, whatever. Yeah, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's just one in one ear, out the other. But when the players can regulate the team and handle that kind of business within themselves, that is when you have something special. That is powerful. It's far more powerful for one of your teammates, for one of your peers to step up and say, hey, man, I'm going to hold you accountable than it is for the coaches. Do you expect that from the coaches? When a player calls you out and says, hey, man, you're not doing what you got to do. Come on. Don't let us down. That's a very, very different thing. And Kirby's done a really great job of kind of engendering that within our program. And Paul, I think this is a great question. Who are those guys? When you lose the caliber of players that we lost, guys that have been around for a long time, that were not just talented, but were veteran presences and leaders, guys like N'Kobe Dean, Jamari Salyer, Channing Tindall. Lewis Seen, James Cook, all those kind of guys. When you lose, and there's so many others I'm not mentioning, but when you lose guys like that, Jordan Davis, of course, how can I not say Jordan Davis? When you lose guys like that, that's tough to replace. And you're right, we do have guys like Nolan Smith, who I have heard has taken on that leadership role and is the driving force behind the defense right now, at least during spring practice. And I fully expect that from Nolan. Nolan is that kind of guy. He's been that kind of guy, just wasn't the upperclassman. Kind of, I don't want to say in the shadows, but maybe a little bit behind guys like, of course, Nicobe Dean, somebody like that. But now is his time. And I think Nolan is going to excel in that role. I love Nolan Smith. He's just a fun loving, awesome guy. And Chris Smith is another one you mentioned that I think has been around for a long time. He's got a lot of respect. You know, it didn't work out right away for Chris Smith. He had to continue to work through the ups and downs of the early part of his career. And he got his chance when Richard LeCount got injured last or in 2020, and he made the most of it. And I think a lot of guys on the team respect that. Obviously, Stetson as the quarterback, what he's gone through and the respect that he has built among his teammates. Clearly, he's going to be a leader now, especially with a full offseason under his belt as the guy. I think that's going to help him take his leadership to the next level. We certainly need that from him. But, I mean, who are the veterans? And you're right. Who are the veterans outside of, of those guys? And I don't really know. Because we have, especially on Demons, we have a really young team. You could point to Jalen Carter now entering, well, almost certainly barring injury, knock on wood, be his final season. 
you could potentially see him because he's the guy on the interior of that defensive line. Like he is the guy. So I'm sure Kirby's working on him being that guy. I know he wants to see more consistent effort out of him at practice. And that's a leadership thing, right? You got to you gotta practice what you preach. And so maybe a guy like Jalen Carter, another guy I would look at, I know he's young, but on the offensive side of the ball, Brock Bowers. It's a really powerful thing. Talking about powerful leadership. It's a powerful thing for your best players, your most talented players to be those leaders. And everything I've ever heard about Brock is that he is just an insatiable worker. He just puts his head down and he works. Now, what I understand is that Brock is not the most vociferous guy out there. He's not the most vocal guy. It's not natural for him. But when you lead by example the way that he does, the next logical step is to just take on more of that vocal leadership role. And we'll see. He's still young, and I know that's a, a tough thing for him. I wish he was out there at spring practice being able to do that and work on those leadership skills. But he'll, that'll come. He'll be back in the fall and have the opportunity to do all of those things. So he's a, certainly a, a name to watch there. Maybe Cedric Van Pran now at center. Like You would say Warren Erickson on the offensive line, but that's if Warren Erickson holds on to a starting job. Warren McClendon's also a guy that I would watch for. I think He's a safe bet to probably right now at this point retain the right tackle position. He's now essentially going to be a three-year starter, more or less, at that position. So I think he's a guy that could certainly step into that role on the offensive line. And I know this might not be the first name that comes to mind, but another name on the defense side of the ball that I would look at is a guy like Dan Jackson. I mean, Dan Jackson right now is a starter at safety. Now, will he remain the starter? I, I don't know. We've got some really t- talented young players b- behind him that are certainly going to make a push once we get into fall camp. Guys like Malachi Starks, Ja'Cory Thomas. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see David Daniel make a move there as well. But Dan Jackson, even if he doesn't start, he's going to play a lot for us. He didn't start last year. Well, he did, I guess, a couple games because of injury. But he wasn't a, a starter. But he still played a ton. He came in in our dime packages. And he was just such a valuable piece for us. And he's another guy like Stetson. I mean, Dan Jackson is literally still a walk-on. That guy still does not have a scholarship. He's hoping he gets one at some point, but he still doesn't. And stories like that, guys who had to overcome the odds, work their way up from a, from a walk-on to now being a potential starter, people pay attention to that. Guys gravitate towards dudes that that have overcome the odds like that. And honestly, to put yourself in a position to go from walk-on to potential starter on the Georgia defense, you have to display some personality and character traits that teammates admire and they look up to. And I think that would put Dan Jackson in a spot now, especially after last year, again, when he filled in for us as a starter in multiple games, but was a, a, a key piece to what we did defensively last year. I think coming into this year, Dan Jackson could potentially be that guy. That's a name I don't think a lot of people would think of. Maybe even Robert Beal, dude's been around for a long time. So I think there's options there, but we're going to have to see who rises to the occasion and becomes that leader. I don't know who it's going to be, but we certainly need those guys to rise to the top and become big-time leaders for us. I think that's a critical part of any team's success. I think it's a big part of why we've been so successful over the past five or so years. All right, we've got one more football question today, and this is from our guy Cliff. Always appreciate Cliff. You know that, man. But Cliff asks, will this be Georgia's most active offseason in terms of the transfer portal? Which positions do you expect to see additions? And what's your biggest concern not being discussed enough? Okay, a lot of packed in there to one question. I wouldn't expect anything less from Cliff. But let's take the first part here. Will this be our most active offseason in terms of the transfer portal? I don't know, Cliff. That's a good question. Honestly, we we didn't hit some of the big guys early in the portal process. And right now, it's slim pickings in the portal. There's always a lot more movement after spring practice. So that's what you have to watch for. After everyone's done with spring practice, 
and guys have gone through spring practice with their teams. They've seen where they are on the on the depth chart. Maybe they butted head with coaches or whatever it is. That's when you see more movement. So got to watch out here over the next month or so who is going to jump in the transfer portal between now and then. But in terms of what positions I expect us to be looking at, potentially adding guys, there are two positions that jump out at me. I, I would obviously say cornerback right now. We have Keeley Ringo coming back. But outside of Keeley, we have a bunch of talented young guys that are going to be in their second year, and a bunch of talented young guys are coming in as true freshmen this year. But man, there is essentially zero experience outside of Keeley Ringo. And I'm very high on all the guys that we have, whether it's Kamari Lassiter, Nylon Green, Dalen Everett, James Singletary, Julio Humphrey coming in this summer. I'm excited about all those guys and what they can be for us long-term. Javon Bullard, another name that was here last year. I'm excited about what those guys can be for us. But man, we just don't know. You just don't know. And like, we're going to be relying on, if we don't add someone at cornerback from the transfer portal, we are going to be relying on somebody that has zero experience. I mean, Kamari's played like a little bit last year, but nothing, like nothing truly meaningful. And that is absolutely a concern for me. So Cliff, I guess that kind of answers two of your questions there. That's the number one spot I'd be looking at in the transfer portal. And that's my biggest concern that I don't think is being discussed enough. I love Keely Ringo. I think Keeley is going to be fantastic for us this year. He really came on as last season progressed. I mean, he was good last year for us, but guys, that dude had no idea what was going on sometimes. I mean, he got better as the season progressed, but he was young. And I mean, he missed all of his freshman year. He essentially missed with a shoulder injury. He got very few reps in practice because he was out with a shoulder injury. So his development was delayed to see what he was able to do last year for us. That was huge. And I fully expect him to take another massive step forward this year. He's going to be fantastic. I think he's going to vie for all SEC first team honors this year. And that's great. But who is going to be playing opposite him? Because you know, just like Keeley got picked on last year when Kendrick was, was there with him, whoever is opposite Keeley, they're going to get picked on this year. And you got to have answers there. So I'm not truly comfortable where we are at cornerback right now going into the 2022 season. I would love to, to add somebody late, like we added Darion Kendrick from Clemson last year. I just don't know who that guy is going to be right now. I just really don't know, but we've got to look, and I'm sure Kirby's looking long and hard trying to find that guy because it's just hard, man. It's just hard to count on either a true freshman or a second-year guy that just hasn't played a lot and to put him into a big moment. Like week one, you're playing Oregon. That is a very tough thing to ask of those guys. So I'm concerned about that, and I think we'll be looking long and hard at the cornerback position. We just don't have much depth there anyway, especially experience depth. And then the other position, let's go to the other side of the ball, I think is receiver. I love the guys that we have. I think we have a bunch of guys that can be big-time playmakers for us. I think A.D. Mitchell, I've said this many times in the past couple of weeks, I think he's about to just take off, become a household name, getting Kieris back fully healthy. It's going to be awesome. I have heard huge things about Lad McConkie this spring, like him taking his game to another level. Arian Smith, hopefully, dear God, please, can stay healthy. Dominic Blaylock is apparently looking very good in spring practice. Doesn't look like he's being held back any from the two ACL injuries. We'll see what we can get from a healthy Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. So there are some guys I think can make some plays for us at that position, but we don't have like a ton of depth there. And you saw the issues we had with injuries at that position last year, guys. And Kirby's even straight up said in press conferences, he's not happy with the depth that position. And I understand why. So I fully expect us to be active looking at receivers in the transfer portal. But here's the thing. I don't think that it's such a dire situation that we're just going to take a body like just for depth. I think it's going to have to be an impact type guy. But the problem is, as, as I said earlier, who are those guys in the portal right now? I mean, look through the portal, guys. 
I, I don't know who that guy is right now. We're just going to have to watch the portal like a hawk between now and in summer, but now in the start of fall camp. And if a name hits the portal and that's a guy that we think can be an impact player for us at that position and can actually contribute to our success, then we got to pounce on it. But I just don't know, again, who those guys are in the portal right now. I don't think they're there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, for the next question, let's move over to the basketball side of things here. And Nathan has, has a really good question. If you were Mike White, speaking of the transfer portal, who would be on your transfer portal wish list? That's obviously going to be a big question. This has become all the rage in college basketball. I mean, we had an entirely new team last year, and there's a good chance we'll have an entirely new team this year. Cario Quindo, our best player from last year, who really came on late in the year. I was hoping that we might have a chance to keep him on this roster, but all the reports are that he's transferring out. That sucks. That guy is super talented. However, news did hit today, earlier today, that we've already picked up one guy from the transfer portal, and that's from Longwood University. I know you might not be too familiar with Longwood, but they did make the NCAA tournament. They played Tennessee in the first round. They got demolished, but they, they were in the NCAA tournament. We got Justin Hill from Longwood. He's, a, he's six foot, about 185 pounds. He led Longwood in scoring last year at 14.2 points per game. Again, that's an, that's an NCAA tournament team. He led them in assists at 4.2 assists per game last season. And I actually watched that Tennessee game. I'm not sitting here and say I'm an expert on Justin Hill. I watched not all the Tennessee Longwood game, but I watched most of the first half of that game. And this guy can play. And I pulled up, since I saw that he committed to us and he's coming here as a transfer, I pulled up some tape and uh, just some highlights. And I and it kind of fit what I saw from him in the first half of that tournament game against Tennessee. He's 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 short. He's six foot about one eighty five, but he's built pretty well. He's small, like he's short. I don't think he's small. He's built pretty well. He can shoot the ball. Shoots thirty five percent from three point range, which is not elite, but that's that's solid. That's solid for your lead guard. He's probably gonna p- play point guard for us and fill that void left by Aaron Cook. Not much of a void because Aaron Cook was terrible for us for pretty much the entire season. But there's already one guy. Mike White's already reached in the transfer portal. He's landed one guy who I think is going to be a good, solid player for us. I'm not going to sit here and say he's in like going to be a, a, an all-SEC first-team type guy. But again, he was the leading scorer, leading assist man on an NCAA tournament team last year. And what I saw from him, he's a guy that can shoot. He can handle the ball. He can penetrate, get into the paint, create for others, create for himself. And it's a guy that's going to be, a, he's certainly going to be a big-time contributor for us next year. And I fully expect him to be our starting point guard at this point. So that's a good first step. That's a good first pickup. But there are going to be more holes to fill, and there are more names out there that I am highly, highly interested in. Eric Gaines is a guy from LSU that just hit the transfer portal within the past week. Basically, the entire LSU team hit the transfer portal within the past week. But he's actually from Georgia. He's a Georgia guy. He was an off-and-on starter for them, but he's a guy that can fill it up. He's a guard. He's a thin guy. He's got fairly decent length. 
but he's 6'3", 170 pounds. Not a great shooter, but again, he's got good length. He's a good defender. He moves well, and I think he does have the potential to become a better scorer. He averaged nine points a game last year as a sophomore after averaging two, two and a half as a true freshman last year. His minutes doubled this year. Not a prolific score. He's not. I'm not going to sit here and say that he is, but I think watching him play, He's shown flashes of that at times. I watch LSU a lot. You guys know, you've heard me say this. I watch a ton of college basketball and I watch LSU quite a bit. They're, they've been pretty good over the over the past couple of years. And I think Eric Gaines has flashed at times. And there's a couple of games in the middle of this year. So against TCU, he had 14. Against Ole Miss, he had 16. Vanderbilt, he had 14. Against AM, he had 16. Florida, he had 15. Arkansas, again, he had 14. So he's got the potential to fill it up at times. But then he just interspersed between that is, four, six, 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 nine, zero. Like he'll have those games, but he has the potential if he can develop into that. And I think he can be a better shooter than what he has shown. Part of the issue for him, as it was for the entire LSU team, is that he just took a bunch of bad shots, like really ill-advised three-point shots. It's like, dude, that's not a high percentage shot. Like Cam Thomas last year for LSU was the king of that. Great shooter. I can fill it up, but took so many bad shots that his his three-point percentage is like in the low 30s, although he's a much better shooter than that if you just count the good shots he takes. But he took so many bad shots, and Eric Gaines had a little bit of that in him as well. But I think you can coach that out of him. So he's a player I would certainly look for, and he does have Georgia ties, so I don't think that's out of the question. Another guy that I, I, I saw he hit the portal last night, and I when as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, dude, let's go get him. And you guys, I'm going to say his name, and I'm, I'm sure maybe like 1% of you will know who this guy is because he played on a team that didn't get much coverage at all and didn't make the tournament, and that's Kansas State. But Nigel Pack, all right, small guy, very similar to Justice Justin Hill in terms of his size, six foot 180, but this dude can freaking light it up from three. He shot 43.6% from three this year, 40.5% from three last year. So he's a career above 40% three-point shooter. Averaged 17.5 points last year for a decent Kansas State team. They weren't great, but they were they were okay. They had some solid wins and they were competitive. But this guy can flat out play. Now, the problem with Nigel Pack, as it will be for a lot of guys that I would love for us in the transfer portal, is is it actually realistic for us to expect to land a guy like that? I think he's going to have a lot, of, a lot of suitors. If you can shoot like that, people want you. People want guards that can shoot the basketball. And so I, I am very doubtful that we are going to be able to land. And he's not from the South. He's from Indianapolis. But man, I would certainly make a run at him. I would, I would give him a call and say, dude, come on. How about it? Come on. A lot of playing time here. You can come out here and play the entire game if you want to. But I just don't know how realistic that is. Another guy that I would love to get that I'm not sure is realistic, is probably not realistic, is Manny Bates, transferred from NC State. Now, he was out all of last year. I think he got hurt in the very first game, like the first minute of the first game this past season. That was a big reason why NC State wasn't good this year. They were terrible, actually. They probably still would have been bad, but not as bad with him on the roster. Now, he's not a scorer, per se. He averaged 10 points a game, I guess, in the 2021 season, but he is a rim protector. He's a big-time guy, 6'11", 230. He can protect the rim. He can rebound. He's a guy that can anchor the middle of this team, and you need a guy like that. I don't believe in this day and age that a team that is interior driven, you're driven by your big guys, can win a national title. I just, I, I haven't seen it in a while. Like there are teams like like Gonzaga, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, they were driven by their big guys. 
their guards were average. They were very, very average. And that's why I didn't pick Gonzaga to win the national title because I did not believe in their guards. I believe in their big guys, but you've got to have guard play. That's the name of the game in modern college basketball, in modern basketball in general, whatever level you're talking about. So you don't really want your team to be driven by your post players, by your big guys, but you still need a good big guy. You really want you to need more than You don't have to have a scoring big man. It's great if you do. That's great. I mean, I'm not saying like, hey, don't get a guy that can score in the interior. You would love to have a guy that can score in the interior. But guards have just become far more important. That's just facts. That's just how college basketball works now. Kentucky's another example. Oscar Shibway is almost certainly going to win National Player of the Year. He was an incredible big man for them. Had an incredible year. But Kentucky's guards were average. They were average. And what happened to Kentucky? They got knocked out in the first round. I know St. Peter's was Cinderella, but Kentucky got knocked out in the first round because they didn't have good enough guard play. But you still need a guy that is a defensive presence, a rim protector, can dominate the glass. If you have a guy like that, that can supplement your guard play, you're in really good shape. And I think that's what Manny Bates can be for us. I don't expect him to come here. If we were able to land a guy like that, again, I don't think we're going to be able to land him. But if we did, he's not going to come in here and average 15, 20 points a game. That's not going to happen. But he can protect the rim, he can defend, and he can rebound. And that's what we need from a guy like that. And just real quickly here, because I'm running out of time, a couple more names that I would love for us to add. Don't know how realistic they are, but I would love for us to add them. Uh, let's go Tanner Holden from Wright State. I watched this team for the first time in their conference tournament as I was trying to get ready for the NCAA tournament because Wright State's never on TV, but in the conference tournament, they are on TV. And I love this dude. This dude can absolutely fill it up. He can play, man. He's um, a bigger guard. He, he's 6'6", 185, averaged 20 points a game for Wright State last year, shot 34% from three. Now, as a freshman, actually shot 42%. So he has a track record of being able to shoot the three. And watching him play, this guy is legit, guys. This guy is a high major player, no doubt about it. I think he could average... 15 plus in the SEC next year. I truly believe that because he can put the ball on the floor, create for himself, create for others, shoot the three, can defend. He's got good length. This guy is a big time player. And again, another guy, I don't, I I think he's going to be highly coveted. I don't think that we'll be able to land him, but he's certainly a name to watch. Here's another unrealistic name for you, but we'll throw it out there anyway. Terrence Shannon from Texas Tech. That guy can play. He was hurt for the first half of the year and missed quite a bit of time there. It took a little while to work himself back into things. But this guy can be, has potential to be a big-time player. He can defend. He can shoot. He can create all the things you want a guard to be able to do. And he's really kind of a wing. He's not really a guard. He's more of a wing. But anything you want from your guard, from your wing position, he can do those things. So I would certainly love to land a guy like that. But again, don't think that's too realistic. Um, here's maybe a more realistic name, Sam McNeil from West Virginia. He did, he had a, he had a tough year this year, guys. He did not have a good year, but he's been essentially a three-year starter for them in Morgantown. And he's a good shooter. He plays hard, good, solid defender, not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's experienced. He can score and he'll play hard. He'll defend. So give me a guy like that on my team all day, every day. And I think a guy like that is more realistic. And there's more names I would throw at you, but the list is very long. I mean, you guys go look at the transfer portal, man. It's it's insane. This list is growing and growing and growing and growing by the day. So I don't have time to list every one of them, but that's at least a start. And uh, as more names at the portal, which I'm sure they will, we'll come here and uh, we'll talk about them on the podcast. But I think I have time for one more question today, guys. Again, I'm sorry it's a little bit short. I, think I did not get a chance to get to as many questions as I would have liked to, but... I figured this was at least better than nothing, right? We'll go with that. Uh, This last question here is from Dante. Dante is asking another basketball-related question. 
This one about Jonas Hayes. Obviously, he was the the favorite son. The guy a lot of Georgia fans wanted to hire when we made the move to get rid of Tom Crean. Obviously, we did not go in that direction. We hired Mike White, who had more head coaching experience, more of a proven track record. But Jonas Hayes, as Dante says, and I appreciate the question, Dante. Dante says, Jonas Hayes just led Xavier to the NIT championship as an interim coach. Does that success make you rethink your opposition to his hire at Georgia? And I appreciate the question, Dante. I really do. And I understand where you're coming from. And I anticipated something like this, honestly, when I, I watched most of that game. And I, as soon as the game was over, I was happy for for Jonas. I, I love Jonas. I don't want anyone to think this because I didn't immediately get behind him and jump on the Jonas for head coach bandwagon that I don't want the guy to be successful. I absolutely do. I am not anti-Jonas. I just did not think he was the most qualified guy for our job right now. I want what's best for Georgia more than anything. And I didn't think hiring him at this point in his career was the right move for our program to make. I didn't think that was the best thing for our program right now where it is. But I have a lot of respect for Jonas. I love Jonas. I want him to succeed. And I would be very open to the idea if he can go out and get some experience as a head coach and have some success as our next head coach. If Let's say if Mike White has success and he parlays success here into another job somewhere else. Or even if it doesn't work out with Mike White, I hope it does, and I think it will. But if Mike White moves on for whatever reason, I would absolutely welcome Jonas in with open arms if he is able to get a a lower-level head coaching job, build that program up, have some success. Absolutely, if he shows me that, I would 100% welcome him with open arms. And I know a lot of the Jonas fans out there were very quick to point and say, oh, look, NIT, NIT, he's proven himself now. He's got a track record. Guys, it's five games. It's five games against teams that did not make the NCAA tournament. I do think it's impressive that he was able to come in as the interim and get those guys to play as well as they did in a setting where it's tough to get up for a setting like that, where you're like, not the main event. You're you're playing and you want to win something. You want to win a, a title, but it's not like the real title. It's a secondary title. That's tough to get guys motivated to do that. And I'm not surprised that he was able to get them motivated to play because, I mean, every stop along the way, players have loved Jonas Hayes. I, I have no doubt that his players are playing hard for him. I fully believe that. And I think Jonas can be a really good head coach given time. But just because he won five games against non-insulated tournament teams does not mean that he is more qualified for our job than Mike White was. Mike White has far more of a track record of beating actual insulated tournament teams and taking a Power 5 program consistently to the insulated tournament and even making an, an Elite 8 run, which, guys, is hard. If you watch the tournament this year, it is hard, even for the best teams, to get to the Elite 8. No, it's one game short of the Final Four. I know it's not the Final Four, but still, man, to get to the Elite 8, that's that's an accomplishment. So if Georgia is able to attract a guy the caliber of Mike White that has the resume that Mike White has, and you compare that to Jonas Hayes, who we all love, we all want him to be successful, we would love for him to be successful at Georgia, but it, you just don't know. There's so, there's so much more risk involved in that. And our program is not in a position to take another flyer, to take another risky bet here, take another gamble on a guy. Mike White is much more of a sure thing. Now, does Jonas potentially have a higher ceiling than Mike White? Absolutely. That's certainly possible. I'm open to that. It's not a it's not a sure thing like some people want to want to make it out to be, but it's certainly a possibility. But Jonas has got to go out and get experience. Winning five games in the NIT does not show me that he knows how 
to build a program, to build a team, to put together practice plans, to deal with parents, all the, the mundane things that coaches have to do, to, to deal with the boosters and the politics of, of, of being a, a head coach at a major university, of actually running an organization. He's a great recruiter. I, I will not deny him that. He absolutely is. But running an organization is very different than being part of an organization. And I know a lot of the Jonas supporters out there will say, well, Kirby did it. Kirby was part of an organization and then was able to run his own organization. Very true. But Kirby also worked for the greatest coach in the history of college football and saw firsthand what he was doing and worked with him for a decade, essentially. It's a very, very different story. So ultimately, while I am happy for Jonas, I am proud of Jonas. I was really excited to see Xavier come back and win that game. For a while, they were getting, most of the game, they were actually getting blown out. They made a comeback in the second half of that game. I was extremely excited for him. And I do think it was impressive. And I do think it's a, a, a very good sign for his future as a coach. But that in itself is not enough to show me that Jonas Hayes is ready for our job at this level at this time. And it's not to show me that Jonas Hayes would be a better hire for this program right now than a guy like Mike White with a track record that he brings to the table. But all right, guys, that does it for me here today. Again, I'm sorry, man. I, I know this is not as long of an episode as I normally produce for you guys, and I only got to a handful of questions. But hey, we got the entire offseason left, so we have plenty of time to get to all those questions. And as I told you last week, the plan is to make these mailbag episodes a regular occurrence. I, I, I want to say weekly. Don't hold me to that because sometimes... You know, news breaks, and we got to cover that on the on the podcast. But it's certainly going to be a regular occurrence for the rest of the off season. So we got plenty of time to get to all your questions. And with that in mind, if you have any questions, again, feel free send them to us at any point in time. You don't have to wait until I put the call out for more questions. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore uga. You can also email us at glory uga podcast at gmail.com. So anytime anything comes to mind, let us know. But I do have to get out of here, guys. I have a lot left to do. It's 8.30 now, and I got to go pack and get ready. Actually, I actually have to eat dinner. Haven't done that yet. And I have to get up early and catch an early flight. So I got to get out of here. But Curtis and I will be back on Wednesday to recap all the happenings from week three of Georgia spring practice, including the first scrimmage of the spring. So a lot of great stuff for you the rest of the week. Make sure to check back then. Thank you for listening. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>